Jeopardy, and how many of y'all seen the game show Jeopardy? Raise your hands really high. All right, we've had several of you guys who kind of know what Jeopardy is. If you haven't seen Jeopardy, I don't know where you've been because it's been on since I was in uh, children's church. So it's been on forever, and we hope that you enjoyed this series. And the theme of this series is living as the answer so it makes people ask questions. Living as the answer so it makes people ask questions. So the title of this morning's message is simply this. This is... Jeopardy. Y'all have seen the show. Say it with me. This is Jeopardy. Jeopardy. And so that's the title of this morning's message. Our theme verse of scripture as you're turning there today is John chapter number 4, verses 7 through 11. John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And as you're turning there, we know what our theme is for this year. It's reach. It's raising eternal and community hope. We're going to raise eternal and community hope, kicking it off as we did at the beginning of the year. And our theme verse for that was 2 Corinthians 10, 13b. And it says, we will boast or celebrate or glory in only with regard to our area of influence that God has assigned to us to reach even you. And so God's given us a specific area of influence that he's assigned to the Way Bible Church to reach even you. And those areas of influences are this. We're going to ignite nations and go around the world. We're sending out two missionaries today. We're sending out a team of 34 next Sunday to go to Costa Rica. Amen. Y'all, we are some mission-sending people Amen. God is so good about giving us the abilities to go all into all the nations, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and making disciples of individuals. I love being a church that's able to deploy people all into the world and ignite nations around the world. We're also impacting a four-state area. That means we're going to leave God's fingerprint on this four-state area of Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana and make a definite impact there. But we are going to influence or change the culture of our 20 mile radius right here of this campus our 20 mile radius of this campus we want to see culture be changed and what does that look like I'm talking the Bible says we are a Matthew 514 city we are the light of the world and a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden it does not say a church on a hill it says a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden that means the church must be so influential that the culture of the city changes so the whole city rises to another standard and we kick that off next week as well as we can do what you call a Uh, influence mission trip where we influence the culture of our city with extreme teacher lounge makeover we got several churches on board 15 teachers lounges going to be redone it's going to be an amazing experience if you haven't signed up don't miss your opportunity those of you who have signed up thank you for those of you who have replied to the email of when you can work if you haven't replied to that email please get back to me as soon as possible because we're going to be jumping into this thing full swing and we'll have all our scheduling done by Tuesday of this week and so when you found John chapter number four verse 7 say I'm there say ask me a question here we go the Bible says this in verse number 7 a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food the Samaritan woman said how is it that you a Jew ask me for a drink of a woman of Samaria now I want to stop right there Jesus did something that made somebody ask a question so he could tell them that he was the answer. Amen, this is what Jeopardy is all about. You live in such a way that you're the answer that it makes people ask questions. Jews and Samaritans didn't associate. Amy did a great job talking about that this past Wednesday night. And so Jews and Samaritans did not associate. So a Jew to ask a Samaritan and a woman nonetheless drawing water in the middle of the day nonetheless was very peculiar if not flat out um, uncultural 
You could say it like that. And so he asked for a drink of water, and it says, For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew, here's the answer, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you should have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And, and he gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to her, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here and draw water. Father, I pray that we would live in such a way that we live as the answer that it makes people ask specific questions about our faith and we can accomplish all the things that you've called us to accomplish. And so what is Jeopardy? Jeopardy is this. Jeopardy in the real world, it's a game show that features quiz competitions in which contestants are presented with clues of specific categories in the form of answers and must phrase their responses in the form of a question. And so we know how the game of Jeopardy goes. And so how does this relate to us as believers? I believe we must live specifically in one category of our life we must live specifically as a follower of Jesus Christ that is the category I want us to focus on in the game of jeopardy you have all these different categories that you can pick and choose from I don't want you to pick the category of career to focus on I don't want to pick I don't want you to pick the category of family to focus on I don't want you to pick the category of church to focus on I don't want you to pick the category of good deeds to focus on I want you to pick the category and live so specific in this category as a follower of Jesus Christ that people begin to see something different in you look at something different about you and begin to ask you questions concerning your faith because you look so much like what Jesus was doing people say I've read about that somewhere I've never seen it, but I've read about it, or I've heard about it, or I've saw, heard somebody talk about it. And I got a question for you. So have we been living as the answer so people ask questions, but more specifically in one category? A disciple, follower of Jesus Christ. Now, our version of disciple is different than the Jewish version of disciple. The Western culture version of disciple looks like this. You're a student, he's a teacher, Jesus, tell me everything you know. That is not what Jesus and the rabbi-discipleship relationship ever was in the Jewish culture. In the Jewish culture, uh, or in the American culture, a teacher wants to know what his, or a student wants to know what his teacher knows. In the Jewish discipleship program, it was a disciple wants to be who his teacher or rabbi is. And so the disciples did not just want to know what Jesus knew. They did not just want to know about the Father the way Jesus knew about the Father. They wanted to be who Jesus was, a son to the Father, and the Father would tell them all that he knows, and they would display the works of the Father because they would see what the Father is doing and reflect it here in the earth. So that is what I say when I want you to live in a specific category of your life. I want you to live as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you begin to look like him, walk like him, talk like him, act like him, believe like him, have grace like he had grace, have a firm stance on the gospel like he had a stance on the gospel, not according to our Western culture political correctness stands on the gospel. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 
Man, if you want to get into this follower of Christ thing, you got to throw politics, especially Western culture politics, out the window altogether. I don't care what side of the fence you're on. Donkey or elephant, blue or red, Republican, Democrat, whatever you want to call yourself. Man, if you want to be a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you got to set politics completely aside until you figure out who Christ is, was, and what he did. And then you begin to formulate decisions moving forward on how you can represent the kingdom of heaven here in this earth the most. And still, that has nothing to do with politics. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right, I'm going to get back on track here this morning. And so as this game of Jeopardy goes on, and we're jumping into this thing, in the game of Jeopardy, people choose a category, such as they always say this, Alex, I'll take the Bible for 500, please, right? You, we've all seen the game. And so this morning, just to make this a little more fun and interesting, um, Jeff and Derek and Damon, I believe, have chosen three contestants. And at this time, if our three contestants would come on up for the game of Jeopardy, make your way to the front. Y'all give them a hand clap. We got them standing. We got Corey, we got John, and we got Jason making their way to the front. And Jason LaRue owns J&J Meat Market. He is an astounding Christian, follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, lover of Jesus Christ and everything. Corey Hankins, recent graduate from Texas Bible Institute, helps with the Rage Student Ministries program and has been a school teacher at Como Picton, in Como Picton Independent School District. And this is... John Cooper, he is a land surveyor. He works in Dallas, commutes back and forth every single day of his life and has a great relationship with his wife and has safe travels to and fro from work. Amen. Guys, we're going to jump right into it this morning and we are going to talk about this first round of Jeopardy. And in the first round of Jeopardy, here's what it is. Oops, that's second service questions. We got different questions for second service, so the contestants can't win the same thing. And what you are guys are playing for this morning, this will really be up Corey's alley. You got a $25 Starbucks gift card that the winner gets to play. Now, as we know in Jeopardy, the first two rounds, you got first round of Jeopardy. You're not going to write the answer down. The first one to raise their hands. So Jeff and Amy be my judges, the first one to lift their hands. You must answer the question or answer the answer in the form of a question. Okay, so if I talk about um, there was a man and he was on a boat and God gave him a rainbow, you got to lift your hand, the fastest one, you'll get called out, and you got to say, who is Noah? Okay, so you got to answer. If you don't, you're disqualified. And they'll give you the buzzer that they, just, that they just heard. Are you ready for the answer to the first question? This is Jeopardy. In spite of being the least in his father's house, his family being the weakest in his tribe, and having gone into hiding in a wine press, the Lord found this mighty man of valor. He soon led Israel to victory over the Midianites with an army of only 300 men. Who, John? Who is Gideon is the correct answer. One point for John Cooper. That, that is in the Bible, yes sir. It's in, the book, it's in the book of 1 Gideon. chapter. <laughs> now we're going to our double jeopardy round. And this answer is this. Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible. You can't, you, no, you can't read the question. You got, you got to answer it with the four words I gave you. Here you go. No, you got, you, you got to answer. You got to give me the answer. Who is Lazarus? And that answer is correct because he read the whole question. 
instead of answering like you should have. The whole, the whole answer is this. Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible. And it was written by John as he witnessed Jesus standing outside of a man's tomb. The answer is the man in the tomb was, who was Lazarus. Time for your final Jeopardy answer. You will write this down and you will each show your answer on this. And here we go. Are you worried about cheating? Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, or communion as we call it, while he and his disciples were partaking of this traditional Jewish meal that first began in the book of Exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. All right. And we will start with Jason down on the end. Jason, what is your answer? The answer is, what is Passover? That is the correct answer. And because this is church, we're not wagering, so I'm not asking how much he wagered. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And Corey Hankins, what is your answer? He put, what is, did you misspell Passover? It's pass with an F? P-A-S-S-O-V-E-F? David and Laura, those are your people. All right, I will give him credit, even though the misspelling it is Passover. And John, what did you put for your answer? He put, what is Passover? And they are all three correct. So since John answered first, I'm just going to give him the card. Thank you guys so much for playing today. Love you guys. Thank y'all. Y'all give your Jeopardy contestants a hand clap this morning. Thanking them for all that they do and who they are. And as we jump into this morning's message, I wanted to give you some fun times with the Lord Jesus. And it's okay to have fun as believers. Can I get an amen on that? And as we're having fun as believers and we're helping um, the community go and do all that it's called to be, we want to live in such a way that we have the answer. And as we live as the answer, we want people to begin to ask questions. And so as we jump into it this morning, let's talk about your game, the game of life that you're in, which is literally no game at all. It's literally no game at all. Many times people take life as a game. We look at life as a game. We make analogies to life being a game. Paul made analogies to life being a race. He said, run the race with perseverance. He was basing it off the games that took place during his day. But I don't want you to think of your life as a game, but you are in the middle of watching life unfold. You are in the middle of being a person who the world is looking at. And as they look at you, are you living in such a way that shows you have the answer to what what goes on in life so that they begin to ask questions about who you are and what you're going to do. The first question I want to ask you this morning is this. The first question I want to ask you is this in your game. When is the last time somebody asked you about your faith? When is the last time, not you started a conversation about faith, somebody came up to you and said, tapped you on the shoulder and say, I got a question. Can you answer my question? When is the last time somebody asked you about your faith? And my question to you is, um, that is your question, but how did you respond? I know you probably, some of you are thinking, of, if you remember going through your head, you're thinking of how you responded. Were you in shock? Were you in a bad mood at the moment? And this is just the most inopportune time for somebody to really ask me about my faith. 
right? Because I'll tell them about my feelings and what I'm going through rather than that. But when is the last time? And listen, you weren't debating to prove a point. You were speaking from biblical knowledge that you have lived. You weren't debating to prove a point. A lot of times when people ask you a question about your faith, they want to get into an argument. They want to discuss with you theologically and philosophically and hermeneutically and homiletically and all these other seminary terms because they're so smart in the Bible. And there are some people who are really smart in the Bible who don't believe in Jesus. Amen. And so they, they, they want to pin you down and debate with you about your faith. But can I tell you, the greatest thing you can ever answer any question about your faith with is about you have biblical backing of why it happened, but an experience that you lived out of how it happened. And if you don't have the experience behind you, you're simply an intellectual person giving words off of a page that you've memorized in your cognitive being. But when you have actually lived out experientially the knowledge you're about to tell somebody about, about the Lord Jesus Christ, it changes the game for you. It completely switches the script for you because now you're speaking of a person speaking from a position of experience, a, a position of power, of a time that when God truly came through for you, about a time when you stood on the word of God and the mountain did move for you, about the time when you stood at the brink of a sea and you began to speak the word of God and you watched it divide and you walked through on dry ground. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And there's a different conviction about you. I'll never forget a story about the time when, when I hung out with this guy, and he's still an amazing friend to me this day. But when he first started coming to this church, boy, he, he, we went out to lunch, and it was a three-and-a-half-hour lunch session. And I'm talking, I got done with that, and I thought my mind was going to explode. And I mean, it just barrage of questions all over the map. And I did my very best to answer him according to but I realized very quickly his intellect was far higher than my intellect in a lot of areas listen to this his intellect was far higher than mine in a lot of areas but my experience of actually walking through the Bible and actually living out by faith what the Bible says was able to give me the upper hand in the conversation and at the end of it I asked him this question I said the question I have for you is this after you've asked me all these questions about my faith and where we stand and what we believe and all these things is if you say what you say about Jesus then why is there no peace in your life? And if I say what I say about Jesus experientially, I have great peace with my walk with Jesus Christ, with who he is in my life and everything about him. And that is the differentiating part of me and you because I have great peace and experience of the scripture. You just have great intellect and knowledge and that's why you're questioning your faith. The experience is the game changer. The experience is the difference maker. And I want to talk to you about this, three, three quick areas, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it addresses all three of these. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And you as a believer, you must have wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of the scriptures in your life. And the Bible says this in Colossians 1, verse number 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased praying for you, asking this, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all, not some spiritual wisdom, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as you walk in a manner, listen to this, as you walk in a manner, as people see you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge, once again, of God. 
Now, you read all through the Proverbs, it says in all of your getting, get wisdom, get knowledge, gain understanding. It, it mentions it all over and over through all, the, through all the Proverbs. So read a proverb every day. It's a great habit to get into. But I want to explain it to you like this. Wisdom is the words you get straight from the Father in your life. It's when he downloads something straight into your heart. It's when he tells you an area of a scripture straight into your life. Um, wisdom is that. Knowledge is you doing it in your life. You heard what God has said and you begin to do it in your life. So now you have knowledge of his wisdom and you're operating and doing what he says in his wisdom. Kind of like some of you struggle in the area of tithing maybe in your life. Ask God to give me wisdom about my budget so tithing is not an issue. Right. Amen? And with that knowledge that he gives you displayed through his wisdom, you can apply it to your life. But here's the best thing. It doesn't just say get wisdom and knowledge so you're benefited. It says get wisdom, which is straight from God. Knowledge is you know how to apply it to your life. But this is what I like about understanding. Understanding means you understand it so well you can teach others to do it. And a lot of us get wisdom, a lot of us operate in some knowledge, but very few of us get to the point of understanding where we heard from God well enough, applied it to our life to get results, but then dissected it down so we can actually live it out to a place of understanding where I can coach somebody, walk somebody, or as the Bible would say, disciple somebody through the process so they live out an understanding of what God gave you. See, this is what I try to do on every Sunday morning's message. I try to bring you words that God has given me because every Sunday morning I don't preach unless I have heard from God that week. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If I ever get up here and say, I haven't heard from God, but I'm fixing to give you a word, you need to run out the back of the building. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So I hear from God, I understand it, and I begin to live it out in my life, apply it to my life so I have knowledge of it, so I'm speaking to you from experience, not from intellect. And when I speak to you from experience, I want to explain it or illustrate it in such a way that you begin to live it out. And so that becomes understanding when you understand it well enough that you can teach somebody else how to do it. So when is the last time somebody asked you a question about your faith that you were to able to answer experientially because you had a word from God, the intellect, the spirit of God spoken to your spirit, I call it spiritual intellect, or, or it's faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, that's the same thing. It's your spiritual intellect that you lived out in a way that you had knowledge of it, that it translated from a spiritual concept to a physical manifestation in your life, but you lived it out in so much in such a way somebody asked you a question and you had so much understanding, you're able to walk with them through the process and their life is transformed. When is the last time somebody asked you a question about your faith this is your game remember you're in this your mission your world equals your commission my mission my world equals my commission the second question I want to ask you about this morning is this what are the answers that the world really needs what are the answers that the world really needs are we living world theology in a bit with a biblical spin or practical theology or how do the words on the page translate from what Jesus wrote here to the year 2017? And what I mean by that is some of us in this game that we're living, we're giving world theology a biblical spin. And this becomes very dangerous. Seven steps to the successes of life. Now, I'm not saying there's wrong with reading about seven steps to the successes of life. But if it's world theology that we just put scriptures on top of it to make it a Bible book, we've missed it. Yeah. That's not Bible theology. Yeah. 
And so many of us out here, we get caught up in the, oh, seven steps to a better you and your best this and my best now and this and that. And I want you to caution you just for a minute. Because if we're using worldly philosophies and throwing a biblical spin on it, that's not right. But when you can dig out the good things of Scripture, the gold in the Scripture that Proverbs has, and you can base a practical life on what the Scripture says, and now you got seven steps to your best life whenever, now, whenever, and you got Bible mandates, and it's, a, and it's a methodical thing that you have done and studied out and read through in Scripture, and it wasn't, oh, I like this philosophy in the world and this philosophy in the world and this philosophy in the world. Oh, and this Scripture relates to it. No, I want you to get into the Bible, dig deep into the Word of God, and start studying the Word of God, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And as you get in there, God's going to show you specific nuggets of wisdom for your life that He wants you to break down into knowledge so you can apply it to your life. But then don't quit once you're good at it. Figure out a way to translate it over into somebody else's life so your wisdom from God becomes practical theology that somebody else can live. See, a lot of us, we got a lot of biblical knowledge, but we don't know how to practically live it. We must begin to learn how to practically live the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in doing that, as we're practically living out the scriptures, you got to figure out a way to read about what Jesus wrote when the little boy brought him five loaves and two fish. And how does that practically relate to 2017? How does that scripture help anybody who's asking questions? And so when somebody comes to you and says, Joel, I'm having a problem, you say, well, you know there was a boy with five loaves and two fish, and are we giving the world the answers they really need? Because we don't even know what their question is many times. So you've got to sit there long enough to hear their question before you can truly give them the answer that they need you're already living right because they ask you the question you got the first part of jeopardy now living in such a way as the answer that people ask a question but now that they're asking you a question in your life you got to listen to the whole question did you see in the illustration we had up here i read two words and corey luckily they had the question on the back but do you understand we as believers do that many times Hey, Joel, Pastor Joel, I would really love you to come pray for me. I really would love this. That, and I'm just like, all right, let's jump in here. Let's pray. And I don't even know what they want prayer for. <laughs> Heard this funny commercial, crazy funny commercial. It's a Geico commercial. And, and those are some of the crea- most creative marketing minds out there, the Geico people, I'm telling you. If you know anything about marketing, they are super creative. And it was a commercial, and I was listening to it as I was driving down the road. For once, I wasn't texting and there other things. I was listening to the radio. <laughs> And as I was listening to it, this little girl comes up to her daddy and says, Daddy, where do babies come from? And he had the best answer, ask your mother. Her reply was, Mommy's at the grocery store. Then the music starts like, dun, 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 dun. You know, it's all resting on him. Well, and he starts out, it's like, well, you know, when a man and a woman are really happy together and he saved 15% on his auto insurance and goes off on a Geico question. And it completely gives her the whole insurance spill because it's a Geico commercial. And, she says, and he says, now, does that make sense? She's like, that's great, Daddy. And she runs off. That's so like what we do as believers many times. 
They've asked us a question. We go off on our tangent of where we're currently at in our moment in our life and what we're purposely going through. And we give them our answers to our questions. We don't listen to what they want and give them true answers to their questions. So are we giving the world the answers that they're really looking for? Are we giving them the true riches of heaven? Or are we giving them the answers that we've bought into many times that really haven't flourished in our life? For example, let me give you this. Somebody comes up to you and says, Pastor, my marriage is really struggling. And I hope people start calling y'all pastor, amen? I hope you live in such a way that you're the pastor of your workplace. I hope you live in such a way that you're the pastor of your office and the four people in the cubicle next to you, that they nickname you the pastor of your little realm of your world that you're in. That would be the best compliment ever because you are living in such a way that they can go to you and trust you as a pastor. And so many of you are called to be a pastor in your workplace. But if somebody were to come up to you and say, you know, I'm struggling in this area of my marriage, and you start thinking, click, 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 Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil, all the episodes I've watched of Dr. Phil, what would he say? Right? Or, or even worse, I've watched Ellen so many times, what would Ellen say? Da, 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 da. Right? Any of these talk show people. You know? And we're not even giving them the answers they're looking for because we were asked a question that we haven't figured out in our life because they think your life's perfect because they're calling you the pastor. <laughs> I don't know how many people say, you and Sherry just have the perfect marriage. Ask her. <laughs> right? She may tell you something completely different. I do have the perfect marriage. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on. Her opinion may not be the same as mine. She's got to put up with the pastor, <laughs> right? And I find myself especially guilty of this with her. She asked me a question, I put the hat, pastor hat on, not the husband hat, right? She doesn't want to be pastored sometimes. She wants a husband to vent to, right? She doesn't want answers all the time. She just wants to get it out. And I'm like, okay, we're good. So somebody asks you a question about their marriage. And you're sitting there thinking, I've got this exact same issue, but because they think I'm pastor, I've got to give them an answer when you never even got wisdom, let alone have knowledge of it to apply it to your life and definitely don't have understanding of how it operates. So in that moment, here's what you do. Say, I don't know. Let's figure it out together. I hear a great book of the Bible to start in is... And you do a co-mission together. And you take them deeper in the Bible with you. See, the thing about me on stage and being up here, I don't make any bones about it. I'll tell you very quickly. I'm not perfect and I'm nowhere close to it. And I'm quick to tell you most of my faults. And so I don't try to live this lifestyle where you think I'm perfect. And I'm going to be the first to tell you, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know what I'm doing all the time as a husband. I don't have all the answers. But I'm willing, more than willing, to go on a journey with it with you. And let's figure this out together. And let's create happy marriages together. And let's create happy, foundational, functional marriages out of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that we all walk it out together. That's what base groups are all about. It's figuring this thing of life out together under a biblical principle that we strengthen and encourage one another in the holy and precious faith that God's given us. Yeah. And so in your life this morning, 
The second question is, are you really giving the answers the world really needs? And finally, the third question I have for you this morning is, are you even in the game? At the end of Jeopardy, when it comes to a place called Final Jeopardy, when it gets to the end, if the person on their screen has a negative number beside it, they're not even able to play Final Jeopardy. They're brought off of the stage and just the remaining contestants that have a positive number on their screen are able to play the final round of Jeopardy. And my question is, are you even in the game? By the time you get asked this question in your final Jeopardy round, whether it's about your kids, your marriage, your career, and anything else, have you been studying enough and have you been getting wisdom from God enough and applying knowledge enough to your own life on a daily basis, just doing the very best at where you're at, that when the final Jeopardy question comes, you're actually at a positive level where you can give out biblical information if you have it. And if you don't, you're strong enough in your faith to say, I don't know all the answers, but baby, let's study this thing out together. and Let's find out what God can do with us together. Are you even in the game? And if you don't have a daily quiet time with the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, you're not in the game. You're not in the game if you don't have a daily quiet time. Because Jesus said, I can only do what I see my father doing. And he always broke away from the disciples and the crowds to try to get alone to be with the father. So I'm going to urge you this morning, if you don't have a daily time with the Lord, start it out just five minutes in the morning. Praying, reading one verse of scripture a day. I'm not saying you got to start reading chapters. Just start somewhere so the wisdom of God can come into your life. So you can start operating in a knowledge that you haven't been. So people will ask you a question. But when the question gets asked, you are in the game in the final round of Jeopardy. And you're able to give understanding to the knowledge that you have from the wisdom you've been given from God. Does that make sense as you're walking through this game of life? So how do we measure up? How do we measure up? On the game show, Jeopardy is easily measured. Success or lack of success of the competitors, all you have to do is look at the score. All you got to do is look at the three scores in front of each person, and it'll tell you how they measure up against one another. Who's the smartest? Who answered the most questions? Who was able to hit the buzzer the quickest? And I'm firmly convinced it's not the intellect of the person, it's how quick they can hit the buzzer. (laughs) Right? You got to have thumb speed on that game, you know? And so, so on that, how are you measuring up? And in your measuring up, how do you even measure your Christian walk? Now, a lot of us, we haven't ever thought like this. How do you measure your Christian walk? Yeah, how do you measure your Christian walk? How do you tell if you're being a successful Christian or not? How do you tell if you're making an actual difference or not? We just said we're going to ignite nations around the world. We're going to impact a four-state area. We're going to influence a 20-mile radius. But how do we measure that? How do we know if we're actually making a difference? I'm firmly convinced that most believers give up on their faith and start backsliding and and, and just become blah with their Christian walk is because they have not found a way to measure what they're doing as a believer. They haven't found a way to keep track of, am I making progress in my life? Am I making progress in my world? Am I making progress in my mission? And so the thing about this is, the awesome thing, is we're not competing against one another. Amen? I'm not competing against Andy Crouch. Praise God, because I think I would lose every single time in this game of Christianity. And it's not a game, but since it's a theme show, okay? In this life of Christianity. But I'm not competing against Andy. We're not competing against one another. The three things we are doing is this. We're complimenting Christ, we're confirming our position, and we're convincing others by our lifestyle. 
We're not competing against each other. We're complimenting Christ in our lifestyle. Everything that we should do should be a compliment to Christ. Do our actions bring him honor? When somebody compliments my kids because we're in public and they say, Pastor Joel, your kids act so good. I'm like, thank you, God. <laughs> right? Y'all been there? Amen. If you've been there, hold your hand up real high so I know I'm not alone. Amen. And it makes you feel so good as a parent when people say, Pastor, your kids are doing so good. They're so awesome. They're so well-behaved. I'm like, as a dad, I'm, not, I'm more than just, thank you, Jesus. I'm like, that makes me feel good. <laughs> That's a way to measure my parenting. Not the only way to measure. So I don't tell my kids to go do stuff just to get compliments to them. But as they get them, it's, it's a measurement of my parenting and my wife's parenting as we move forward that we're actually doing, we're doing okay, <laughs> at least in public, right? <laughs> we're doing okay in public. They're acting good in public. I don't know if this, they're scared to go home and how, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they're doing good in public, and it's a way to measure. The same thing is true with your walk with Christ. And believe me on this, I believe this. Corey, when somebody comes up to you and says, Corey, you did a phenomenal job at Rage the other night when you preached and somebody Facebooks about it, it's not complimenting Corey, it's complimenting Christ. And the more things that we do that bring Christ compliments and bring him glory, he's going to let you in on it because you're the one doing it, but you're not doing it for their sake, you're doing it to compliment him. My kids, when they act right, they're doing it because they know what's right and wrong. But it, when people praise them, it's a compliment directly to me. Yeah. That's like whenever anybody says at the back service, Pastor, that was a great message. You're not complimenting me, you're complimenting him. But thank you for including me on what he did. And if you'll, if you'll adopt that mindset that every time somebody says good job or praises you, they're not complimenting you, they're complimenting Christ, it'll be easy for you to receive the compliment. Yeah. Right? It'll be easy for you to receive the compliment. I see so many Christians battle with this. Well, you did a great job. Oh, no, you know, I really didn't do that great of a job. It really was just okay. Shut up. You're going to make nobody want to compliment you whatsoever. I mean, really? No, if you did a good job and somebody said you did a good job, even though you don't feel like you did a good job, they're not complimenting you anyway. They're complimenting Christ, but you got to be the recipient of it and bring that reward and lay it at the feet of Jesus when you go home and say, thank you, Jesus, because I thought I dropped a bomb, but here's all the praises, <laughs> right? I mean, I have to do it continually because <laughs> every time I leave on Sunday, I think of the 50 things I should have done different, not realizing people and their lives got touched and changed because of what something was said or done and they're complimenting Christ and so I must be faithful to bring the compliments to him then we must confirm confirm our position when somebody praises you or says something good or good about your life you're confirming your position I'm a partner I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places of course they should be seeing this in my life amen, amen. thank you Jesus I love these three scriptures real quick Ephesians 4 1 it says therefore a prisoner for the Lord I urge you to walk everybody say walk Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Colossians 1.10. So as to walk, everybody say walk. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit, amen, bearing fruit, amen, bearing fruit in every season of good work and increasing in the knowledge, amen, increasing in the knowledge of God. And then 1 Thessalonians 2.12. We exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk. Everybody say walk. Walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So he wants us to walk this out. All three scriptures said this, walk in a manner. 
Walk in a manner. Walk in a manner that is complimenting to the Father. So we must be complimenting. The way we walk must be confirming, but also our lifestyles must be in such a way that it is convincing to everybody watching that there is a God in our life who loves us, that saved us from an eternal hell and damnation and everything else, and we live with such a presence of joy about our lives that, 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 that it's different to people. Everybody loves to talk about the presence of God. Well, this is my favorite verse about the presence of God. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. So if you say, I'm going to work in the presence of God, you better put a smile on your face tomorrow morning. Thank you, Jesus. Even though it's Monday. Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. So in this life, your life must be convincing. And some of us need to tell our face, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Come on now. It ain't that bad of a life if you got Jesus. And if it is still that bad of a life, we need to sit down and have some conversations over coffee. Amen. I don't want to preach at you all the time. Let's talk about it. Why isn't there joy in your life? What's stealing your joy? What's robbing the joy in your life? And listen, I said we must be convincing in such a way that people ask questions. You are not the Holy Spirit convicting. Come on now. I didn't say walk into Starbucks and tell everybody what they're doing wrong. I said walk into Starbucks with such a joy and a smile on your face that everybody says, what's he got going on today? And the funny comment that I always get is, Pastor, I want some of that stuff that you got because you must be on something to always have that much joy and energy. I'll tell you what it is. You ask the question, you open the door. (laughs) Come on. Let me tell you about my Jesus for a little bit. And the energy and the joy he gives me every single day to get up. And I don't say to deal with people like you, but, right? <laughs> to get up, amen. I just say to you, now I wasn't talking to y'all, I was talking about the Starbucks people. Come on, guys. I love y'all more than that. Jeez Louise, y'all took that personal quick. And that ain't even what I was saying. What I say and what y'all hear are two different things, I'm telling you. Woo. I just saw everybody go like. And I'm like, I was talking about the situation, all right? Everybody get back to Starbucks. This is where we're at, okay? And there's something different about your life that they ask the question in your life. And I'll never forget, this just happened to me a couple weeks ago. Now, yeah, I guess it was two weeks ago. I was, I was at church and somebody else, and my vehicle was getting fixed. And I just got back from Vietnam and I was frustrated and I didn't have a vehicle. I had to drop it off at the mechanic shop to go get some stuff done. And so I was here and I was hungry. And my boy Corey stepped up. Derek's fixing to walk out because he's tired of the story. <laughs> and here's what happened. Everybody else had plans and stuff like that. And Corey said, Pastor, I'll take you to lunch. And I immediately looked at everybody and said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. And you brought me to Starbucks. Come on now. And he did. After lunch, he brought me and bought me Starbucks. But the funny thing was when he pulled into Starbucks... And, and, and I, this reminds me of me 10 years ago. I pulled into, he pulled into Starbucks, and they're like, hey, how are you doing today? How can I help you? And he's like, hey, how are you guys doing? They're like, Corey. Yeah. Like it was the speaker. We were in the drive-thru. They couldn't see him. And it was like, Corey, how are you doing? He's like, I'm great. How are you doing? And they had this 30-second dialogue and just, and I sat there, and I was like, he has such an influence on these Starbucks people that when Corey pulls in, they're excited that Corey's in their drive-thru. Yeah. 
I mean, they're excited about it. Amen. That's a compliment to his father about how he's living. And they're excited about how Corey pulls in. And, when, and, he says, I, and, and he said this. He said, Pastor, it disturbed me one day because I got up to the window and the lady handed me my drink. She said, thank you for always asking how we're doing. You're the only person who asks every time he comes in how we're doing and genuinely seems like he cares about us. And I sat there. I said, man, I've been to Starbucks about 10 times and I had never... T- <laughs> So I went into Starbucks this morning to buy some gift cards, and I was like, how are y'all doing today? I was like, I got to live up to my boy Corey, you know? But I say that for a reason. He's living in such a way that people are building a relationship with him, asking questions about him, finding out what's going on in his life. And he's not doing it because he's the Holy Spirit of conviction. He's doing it, he's living his life in a convincing way fashion where the Holy Spirit then can come in over the life of an unbeliever and do his mighty work as the Bible talks about in the Gospel of John chapter 16 and it says and when he comes talking the Holy Spirit he will now listen he's talking about the world here he's not talking about saved believers John's talking to the world he will convict the lost world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me that means they're not born again believers concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you will no longer see me so he wants the ungodly to come into a righteous state so he's going to convict the ungodly and the lost concerning their sin so they'll become righteous and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is to be judged and when that happens they become righteous it's saying we're judging Satan and what he's doing Now, many of us read this, the Holy Spirit's come to all the believers to tell you that you're a sinner, that you need to get righteous, and that he's going to judge you if you don't. That's not what John said. It said he was talking to the world of unbelievers to convict them of their sin, to show them that there's a better way to bring them into a right standing with God, and so that Satan at the end of time can be judged. That's exactly what it says. Go back and read it for yourself. I don't have time because I'm way overdue. And so how are your actions allowing the Holy Spirit to bring light into people And how are you complimenting the Father? How are you living in such a way that it is an area of your life that you are confirming your position and you're convincing to others? And here is the answer to your question. Here's how we're going to measure this as a believer. Guys, throw my picture up on the screen. As they're putting that up on the screen, this is how we're going to measure it in our life tomorrow. Everybody say tomorrow. Tomorrow. Sit up there. That's my boy right there. I want you guys to make a commitment to do this. Not to me, make it to the Father. That you're going to live in such a way that it changes somebody's life tomorrow. And here's how you'll measure your impact. Count how many smiles you get. Count how many smiles you get tomorrow. When you walk into your place, convenience store, to get your cup of coffee, and the lady behind the cashier is in her grumpy mood like she usually is because she's working for five bucks an hour at a convenience store, longer hours than we could ever dream about, how are you going to make her smile? Count how many smiles you get tomorrow. When you walk into your workplace, are you going to just, let me get to my cubicle. And you try to duck and dodge, and you never talk to anybody, and then by the time lunch rolls around, you're like, I don't know why everybody's not talking to me today. I guess everybody at this workplace is miserable. It's your job to brighten their day. How many people can you make smile tomorrow? And I want you to keep count. 
Because here's the thing, I just said, we become miserable in our Christian walk because we never know if we're making an impact. The only way to know you're making an impact is to measure it. And so tomorrow you're just gonna measure how many times you bring the presence of God or in the presence of God there's fullness of joy, how many times you bring joy into somebody else's life where they smile, right? How many times are you gonna do it? Some of y'all aren't looking at me in the eye because you're like, I'm not committing to this. <laughs> I know how my Mondays are. <laughs> but you also know how everybody else's Mondays are. You also know what they're struggling with. So some of y'all probably need to screenshot that and make that the backdrop on your phone. Some of y'all probably need to set a goal because if you work by yourself, you're not going to have the opportunity to make many people smile. But 99% of us have families that we go home to. So the people you need to make smile the most, you need to try to make your kids smile. You need to try to make your spouse smile. You need to make sure you bring joy into your household. Right? Come on. Man, I had y'all all the way up until this point. <laughs> now it's like I think they're just like, Mitch, it's like they're wanting to just... I'm going to run out the back. As soon as he says altar call, I'm not committing, so I'm gone. You know? Speaking of that, worship team, come. Seriously, go on this challenge with me. If you want to figure out how you're making a measurable impact with your life, you've got to find a way to measure what you're doing. So just keep track of how many people you make smile tomorrow.